Buck Benny, a two-fisted, quick-triggered marksman who shoots from the hip and never misses. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Wow, do we have a packed show for you tonight. It is 2018, and I've um, connected a bunch of shows together. Because what happened 70 years ago is after last week's show, Jack was on two other shows before he came back for his show from this week. So I thought I would present those to you first. So the first thing we're going to have is the Bing Crosby show with his guest star, Jack Benny. And when Bing Crosby and Jack Benny are together, they are two of the greatest casual monologists that exist in, in radio or television or at any point in time. So to have these two together, they always do such a great job on Bing's show when they're on there or on Jack's show if Bing's on Jack's show. But uh, they both have such unique delivery that no one else has ever had anything like it and to have the two together is just amazing. So I'm so glad we could bring you this episode. I also played it um, earlier this week or last week, I guess, on uh, my Judy Garland podcast because I play the Bing Crosby shows over there, but I just thought I would bring it over here for those folks who haven't heard it. Then after that, uh, Jack appeared on Truth or Consequences. And on Truth or Consequences, it was all about the walking man. There was this, this contest to figure out who the footsteps were that they would play. And folks across the country all tried to guess who it was. And it ends up being Jack Benny. And so uh, what we have for you tonight, uh, after the Bing Crosby show, we're going to present, uh, I'll, I'll do an intro that explains a little more about the truth or consequences. And then I'll play this clip from the very end of that truth or consequence episode where Jack actually comes on, talks about being the walking man. And then it goes right into the Jack Benny show after that where uh, he'll talk more about The Walking Man. So that should be great to be able to hear all that together. And then after that, we have an episode of the Phil Harris and Alice Faye show about going fishing. And after that, we end the night out with the Jack Benny show from 1938, uh, Death in the Nightclub, which I think you'll also enjoy. So it's going to be a night packed with great shows. Um, and I think if you haven't listened to the Bing Crosby show, you really should give it a try uh, tonight because uh, it's a wonderful show. And not just when Jack's on, but when uh, he has any other guests. It's just uh, it's one of my favorite, favorite shows of old-time radio besides Jack Benny's show. So anyway, without further ado, let's get to all of these great shows. Starting out with Jack Benny appearing on the Bing Crosby show from 70 years ago this week. Enjoy. When the blue of the night meets the gold of the day Someone waits for Notice how I make you stand out tonight? <laughs>
This is Ken Carpenter welcoming you to Philco Radio Time, produced and transcribed in Hollywood with John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, the Rhythm Airs, and Bing's guest. Uh, say, Bing, who is your guest tonight? Oh, gee, I don't know for sure, Ken, but my brother Everett is out in the hall with a net. Help? <laughs> if I know Everett, he'll probably capture himself. Use him. <laughs> we have to have someone around here to talk to. Well, this is, this is March, Casey. Somebody's uh, bound to blow in. I hope so. Maybe we make a little noise, might attract somebody. Hmm? We got a great song here from the musical show Angel in the Wings. That's the review that features Hank Ladd and the Hartmans. Song called The Big Brass Band from Brazil. Is the PA on good, Jim? Everybody climb in now. This is a very lively thing. <laughs> The big brass band from Brazil, the big brass band from Brazil, that's the way they go. Three brothers down in Rio had a noisy family trio, three piccolos that sounded mighty shrill. But their papa called it music, so with his dough they planned the big brass band from Brazil. They soon sent to Cuba for some trumpets and a tuba. They figured that their relatives had skill. Papa's ears are stuffed with cotton, but he still thinks they're grand. The big brass band from Brazil. Oh, they practice all night long. But they've only learned one song. So they play that same old phrase. Fifty-seven different ways. There's first and second cousins, and there's uncles by the dozens. They play as long as Papa pays the bills. And it's getting more expensive each time that they expand. The big brass band from Brazil. The USA was luring, so old Papa sent them touring. Chicago and New York and Louisville. But because they don't play baseball in Brooklyn, they were banned. The big brass band from Brazil. They practice all night long But they've only learned one song So they play the same old phrase Fifty-seven different ways Give the boys a hand That's the way they go. Thanks. That was a great thing. Thank you. Thank yes, you, Ken. Very breezy stuff for the first week in March. Yeah, Ken, we're coming in like a lion and we're going out with Petrillo. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Right now, who knows? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, Bing, whenever I hear that expression coming in like a lion, I can't help but compare it to the reception on Philco radios. Yeah, now, Ken, do you mean to say that twisting a lion's tail gets the same result as twisting a Philco's dial? No, I, hmm? I mean that a lion's roar is powerful and rich and clear, just oh. like the tone of a Philco. Well, then why doesn't Philco raise lions instead of bothering with radios and phonographs? Oh. Wait, that's a little radical, Bing. I don't see why. To make radios, you have to have bolts and wire and solder and tubes and stuff. It's a big production. Yeah. With lions, all you need is a couple of them. You're in business. <laughs> There's oh. a lot of big lions. <laughs> Maybe so, but tonight I better stick to those new Philco's. But if it would help, I could roar like a lion about them. Oh, no, no, you don't, Ken. You just go ahead and read your commercial. Start reading some. Okay, Bing, I don't have to roar. Just let me whisper the news about Philco's sensational new plastic portables. And the good word is that they'll be arriving at your Philco dealer any day now. You can't miss them when they do, because their slick, streamlined plastic cases are real eye-catchers, a fashion flash in your choice of four different colors. You get real powerhouse Philco performance, too, and at an amazing new low cost for Philco quality in a portable radio. If you're always on the go, get the new battery-only model. Or if you can use a handy extra radio around the house, too, latch on to one of the three-way jobs that play on battery or plug into the house current, either AC or DC. Indoors or out, these new Philcos are a cinch to be the smart sets with the smart set. And tops for your money in portable radios from Philco, the leader. Smart set with the smart set. I recorded this song recently with the Andrews sisters. Haven't got the Andrews gals with us tonight, but we got the rhythm airs, and they walk along pretty good. Come on along and shoot the breeze Don't let a trouble trouble you Come on and live a life of ease At the flying W Ooh, sing like a cowboy Sing as you ride on the purple stage Ooh, be like a cowboy The life will let you forget your age Come on along and shoot the breeze Don't let a trouble trouble you Come on and do just as you please At the flying W Throw away your derby, throw away all your suits Get yourself a Stetson hat, a pair of boots And a snazzy shirt, some dunga, breeze and a tie And yippee, yippee Come on along Come on and shoot, shoot the, the breeze. breeze Come on along Don't let a trouble trouble, trouble you Come on along Come on and live on a life of ease At the flying W Ooh, sing like a cowboy Sing as you ride on the purple sage Ooh, be like a cowboy the life will let you forget your age. Come on along. Come on and shoot the breeze. Come on along. Don't let a trouble. Every trouble you come on along. Come on and do just as you please. At the flying W. You're going to a gallop, mister. Hang on for life. Be sure you got insurance for your child and wife. If your seat is sore, forget it and don't you cry. Just yippee, 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 ki yi oh, Come on along and shoot the breeze. Don't let a trouble, every trouble you. Come on along, come on and do just as you please. 
At the Flying W. At the Flying W. The Flying W. Mr. C., there's a young lady here to see you. A guest, huh? Well, no, good. Well, no, I don't know if she's a guest star exactly. She's Jack Benny's girlfriend, Gladys Zabisco. Oh, Gladys. How are you? Fine, but boy, are you in trouble. Trouble? <laughs> yeah, uh, Jack Benny's on his way over here, and I rushed over to warn you. Well, what happened? Well, uh, Jack and I had a date after his rehearsal, and I was standing across the street from NBC when Jack showed up. He was in a very romantic mood. In fact, I've never seen Jack so romantic. Gladys, maybe it's the moon, maybe it's the stars, maybe it's the fragrance of the night, but I want to say something to you I've never said to any other girl. What's that? I'd like to buy you a drink. <laughs> I accept. Well, uh, let's, uh... Uh, let's go in here to Tom Brenneman's. They've got a lovely cocktail lounge. Gee, say it is nice. Oh, yeah. oh, there's Tom Brenneman over there. Hiya, Tom. Oh, hello, Jack. Hello there. And hello, young lady. Oh, uh, this is my girlfriend, Gladys Zabisco. Well, it's a real pleasure to know you, Miss Zabisco. Well, thanks. But I wish you'd keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> Gladys, he's only trying to pin an orchid on you. Uh, Gladys, uh, Tom, Gladys and I thought we'd stop in for a little drink. Oh, fine. Well, if I may offer a suggestion, you know, Phil Harris comes in here a lot. He seems to like our champagne. Champagne? Mm-hmm. No, it tickles my nose. <laughs> I'll, I'll just have some muscatel. Okay, but Phil always has champagne. Well, he's got two shows. Just... <laughs> just, uh, just Muscatel. Will the lady have the same? No, bring the lady her own glass of Muscatel. <laughs> Gee, thanks, Speedy. I'm sorry you wouldn't go for champagne, Jack. I wanted to buy you kids a drink. Oh, I huh? said I wanted to buy you a drink. Well, why don't you come right out and say so instead of setting a trap? <laughs> oh, come on, Jack. Have a drink on me. Waiter, uh, Paul Roger, 29, please. Jack, I have to run along now. Take care of the business here. Enjoy yourself, won't well, you? Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Gee, Gladys, isn't this romantic? Soft lights, champagne. And yeah, they have an orchestra in the other room. It's cozy here. <laughs> but if you... <laughs> I mean, but if you care for some music, there's a jukebox over here in the corner. Oh, wonderful. How about playing something? Okay, wait till I find a nickel. Let's see. Oh, here. Here, I've got one. See, what have they got here? Let's see. Bing Crosby. Yeah. <laughs> the Andrews sisters. Gee, there's three of them. The four Mills brothers. <laughs> 
the ink spots. I wonder how many spots. <laughs> oh, here's, here's Fred Waring's Glee Club. There's a buy if I ever saw one. <laughs> See, there must be a, a hundred of them. Gee, don't you like Crosby? What's to like? <laughs> All right, it's your night. I'll play Crosby. Huh? Well, what are you waiting for? Why don't you put your nickel in? I was just wondering, Gladys, all those people sitting around, do they get to hear it too? <laughs> Honestly, some people go through life listening to the other fellow's nickel. Jack, you're a big star. Oh, that's right. I guess I was only kidding. Hey, come on, everybody. I want you all to listen. <laughs> listen to me. Here goes. Love is funny, or it's sad, or, 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 or. Gosh, the record stuck. Maybe if I slap the machine. See, now it stopped altogether. Maybe if I kick it a few times. Oh, it's no use, Jack. It won't play. But it's got to play. My nickel is in there. I mean, it's got to play. Maybe if I shake it a little. Hey, 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 bud. Hey, you. What are you trying to do? Look, waiter, I put a nickel in this machine and the record wouldn't play. Well, I've got nothing to do with that machine. You'll have to see the owner, Mr. Brenneman. Mr. Brenneman? Oh, oh, my friend Tom. Oh, yeah. Where's Tom? He just stepped out. Stepped out? He sneaked out. <laughs> Look, bud, he didn't sneak out. He stepped out. He'll be back. Listen, who are you trying to kid? No wonder he filled me with champagne. It's the first time in my life I've ever been rolled. <laughs> now, I want my nickel. I told you I have nothing to do with that jukebox company. I'm only the waiter. Well, where's the jukebox company? In Toledo. <laughs> Toledo? A fine scheme. You're only the waiter, the jukebox company's in Toledo, and Brenneman takes it on the lamb. Well, I'm going to go to Crosby direct. I'll get action. Let me out of here. Anyway, Bing, that's what happened, and I ducked out while Jack was arguing with the waiter, and I thought I'd better warn you. Well, you warned me just in time. Look who's coming. What's wrong, Jack? Looked like you lost your best friend. Uh, Bing, I, I just had an unfortunate experience. I mean, really? some people would have been furious. Well, know? what happened? Well... <laughs> well, I, uh... I'll save you a little time, Jack. I know exactly what happened. You put a nickel in to hear me sing, the record got stuck, you lost your nickel, right? Just as I thought. You're in with that jukebox mob. <laughs> Don't be silly, Jack. I know the story because your friend Gladys is. She told me all about it. Gladys, I don't need any help from you. It's my problem. I'm old enough to stand on my own two feet. You're old enough to fall down. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not interested in what you told him. I want Bing to hear my side of the story. The true side. And I've got witnesses to prove it. Oh, Jack. What do you want to do? Make a whole big case out of this? I'm not making a big case out of anything. I simply want to tell you very calmly what took place. Now, here's exactly what happened, Your Honor. I mean, Bing. <laughs> now, look, Bing. Through a mechanical fault in this music vending machine, I was obliged to forfeit a payment 
I had made an advance to hear you sing a song. Now, since I didn't get to hear that song, I feel that some kind of financial adjustment is in order. Well, frankly, Jack, I don't see why I should be obligated to compensate you for your loss. Mr. Crosby, do you not receive revenue from a certain mechanical device, patent number 3278496, commonly known as the jukebox? Jack, I'm not affiliated with any jukebox company. The money I receive through this medium, I get indirectly. Then give me my nickel back indirectly. Give it to Gladys and she'll hand it to me. I don't see what we're arguing about here, Jack. Why don't you forget about it? Forget about yeah. it? Yeah. Look, Bing, let's reverse the situation. Supposing I had put a violin solo on a record, mm -hmm. and that record was placed in a jukebox. Mm -hmm. You put a nickel in the jukebox. The record got stuck, and you didn't get to hear my violin solo. How would you feel? <laughs> well, let's take another example. Bing, think, think about your conscience. My conscience? Every time you see a nickel, you'll think of me. Oh, that is inflation. <laughs> Bing, believe me, it isn't the money. It's the principle of the thing. Don't you see? Look, at the sign on that machine said one song for five cents. Our country was founded on honest representation. It's the right of legitimate barter. It's, it's a Louisiana purchase. It's Paul Revere's ride through Lexington. It's Dewey at Manila. It's the spirit of 76. So don't, don't you see, Bing, I'm not just fighting. I'm not fighting for my nickel. I'm fighting for American tradition. I'm fighting for the Constitution. I'm fighting for George Washington at, at Valley Forge. What, again? tell you, Bing, I'll never rest until this matter is cleared up. Well, Jack, I've just been pretending to be stubborn. I, I've had a lot of fun at your expense tonight, but you do have a legitimate beef, and I want to square it. Oh, Bing, I mean, Bing. <laughs> you put a nickel in the jukebox. Right. I was supposed to sing a song. You didn't hear it. Right. And you didn't get your nickel back. Right, see? Well, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to sing that song for you. Hmm. <laughs> Bing... You mean, instead of giving me that nickel, you're going to stand here and sing a song? Yes. How can a guy be so cheap? <laughs> Love is funny Or it's sad Or it's quiet or it's mad It's a good thing Or it's bad But beautiful Beautiful To take a chance And if you fall, you fall And I'm thinking I wouldn't mind at all 
love is tearful or it's gay It's a problem or it's play It's a heartache either way But beautiful And I'm thinking If you were mine I'd never let you go And that would be But beautiful I know Well, there's your song, Jack. That makes us even. Yeah, I guess it does. Yep. Mr. Brenneman. Oh, Too late in the day for Tom. It's a little late for... <laughs> <laughs> Too late in the day for Tom. Well, you know, his restaurant is across the street. It takes him quite a while to get it. <laughs> Mr. Brenham! <laughs> what brings you here? Well, I stopped over to see Jack Bing. You know, the jukebox mechanic was in, and we got his nickel back. Here you are, Jack. Oh, thank you. 1900. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> if it's all the same to you, I'll be running along. Goodbye, Jack and Bing. I've got to run across the street and water some hats. <laughs> Take a good rest, Tom. Have a nap. <laughs> well, what a lovely fella. You know, I ought to send him a good, good neighbor orchid. You know? Jack, you've had a big day. You got your nickel back. You got a song. Yeah, I did. Well, come on, Gladys. I'll walk you home. To Glendale? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. We'll, we'll take the bus. Let's go. Say, uh, wait a minute, Jack. Just a minute. Yes, Bing. You know, a little while ago, you were talking about fair play and justice in America. Yes. Well, when you got your nickel back, I no longer owed you the song. Well... You did willfully accept that song from me? Yes, but... Mr. Benny, do you know how much I get for singing a song? Hmm. Uh, can I get you a glass of water, Jack? Make it a bucket. I think I'll drown myself. Look, Bingsy, there's yeah. only one way to handle it. You gave me a song, I'll give you back a song. Gladys, get me one of those violins. What are you going to do with a violin? I want to reciprocate. You mean retaliate. <laughs> Here you are, Jack. Thanks, Gladys. I'll do the best I can. Violin is a little different from the one I play. This one has four strings. <laughs> I wonder what the other three or four. <laughs> those are spares. Oh. <laughs> oh. Thank you, Jack. That was very good. Now, <laughs> look, I haven't started a number oh, yet. Oh, no, 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 no.
Just grand. Thank you a lot. <laughs> now, look, Bing, Bing, I'm just trying to pick out a number. Well, these see? people have homes. Maybe they want to get to them. Oh, oh, well. Or right, I think I know a good number I'll play. Uh, humorous. Oh, see, I may join in on that. No, no, Bing. You see, there's no, uh, there's no vocal. No, I mean on the cymbal. Oh, you, uh, you play the cymbal? Certainly. I used to play on a live bait boat off of Hermosa Beach. <laughs> All right, now, uh... I'm well, ready. <laughs> join me, but don't crowd me. I just support you, dear. There's no vocal. Jack, you were never better. Ah, thank you. Now we're all even, Bing. That's right. You know, this little act we did, it looked pretty good on television. In those clothes? Why not? <laughs> Color? Oh, it's funny that you mentioned television, Bing. You know, I was in a radio store the other day looking at the new Philco. And what did you buy? A package of Lucky Strike cigarettes. <laughs> well, Jack, you might go in a radio store and buy Lucky Strikes because you have great control. But I venture to say that with everybody else, it's LSMFT, Let's See Mighty Fine Television. You stole that from us. <laughs> no, I just borrowed it, Jack, because it fits Philco so well. Mighty Fine Television, Mighty Fine Radio. Either way, it's P-H-I-L-C-O. Right now, the big radio news for you record fans is Philco's four gorgeous new radio phonograph consoles. Right down the line, they give you the works for luxurious listening on radio or records, including plenty of record storage space in the cabinet. And that ought to just about wrap it up for you listeners who go for recorded music in a big way. Because look what you get with the new Philco 1286, for instance. Wonderful static-free FM reception. Philco's big concert grand speaker. Super smooth automatic record changer. And the sensational Philco electronic scratch eliminator. No hiss, no screech, no scratch. It automatically tunes out record scratch and surface noise. Leaves you only the music against a background of blissful silence. Catch up with the 1286 at your Philco dealer now. It's a sensational new radio phonograph value. Tops in quality for your money 
from Philco, famous for quality the world over. Just grand. Thank you a lot. <laughs> that was the last number in the second series. Hey, wait, Jack. This is my program, not yours. Oh, oh, pardon me. I'm so absent-minded. Say, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Crosby, who's your guest next week? Well, next week, Gladys, we have a very jolly program with Jimmy Stewart. Jimmy Stewart? Mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart? Mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart? Cut that out. Does Jimmy Stewart buy you champagne? <laughs> And thanks very much. This program was produced and transcribed in Hollywood by Bill Morrow and Murdo McKenzie. Tune in to Philco Radio Time next week and hear Bing Crosby, John Scott Trotter, and his orchestra, the Rhythm Airs, and Bing's guest, Jimmy Stewart. And keep your eye on your Philco dealer now for the newest thing in radio from Philco, the leader. Hello again, this is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the 1947-1948 season of the Jack Benny Show. This episode is one of those classic episodes that Benny fans talk about, like the feud episodes and the episodes that are coming up with uh, the Oscar um, that gets uh, stolen, the stolen Oscar, and uh, the episodes, um, your money or your life episodes, the, um, let's see, probably the trip episodes to when they go, they'll go on the skiing trip. Uh, there's just certain things, of course, the, um, the why I hate Jack Benny, or why I can't stand Jack Benny contest episodes are famous too. And then the set of, of these, the walking man episodes and, and the truth or consequences episodes that lead up to it are, uh, often discussed by, by Benny fans. So anyway, what happened here, uh, and I'll try and make this all brief. I could spend half an hour talking about this, but I'll try and just cover the highlights. Anyway, um, Truth or Consequences was having a what was called the Walking Man Contest, and it was the sound of a person walking, and you were supposed to call in, well, actually not call in, you were supposed to send in a postcard, uh, uh, I think the postcard you were um, writing something down, I can't remember, they, they explain it, um, uh, maybe the importance of the heart fund, something like that. And then they would pick what they thought were the best ones and call the folks up and let them guess on the walking man. 
who it was. And this contest ran for a lot longer than I think anyone thought it would. It ran for, uh, I believe, 10 weeks at least. And every week they would add more and more prizes. And so the episode we played earlier tonight, which was the very last episode where they actually guessed who the walking man was, which was actually, of course, Jack Benny, uh, the amount of prizes, if you listen to the beginning of where they go through all the prizes, it's, it's pretty incredible. Uh, so you had a lot of people entering this contest, and they asked if people wouldn't mind to donate to the Heart Fund at the same time. Well, they raised $1.8 million in 1948 for the Heart Fund. I mean, that's an incredible amount of money in 1948. Uh, just a fabulous thing um, that benefited the Heart Fund for years to come. Now, what they would do besides hearing the person walk, you also had clues. And these clues were crazy hard clues to figure out. Um, let me just read you some of the clues here. Bing bong bell, church bells. Uh, actually, no, it's just bing bong bell. Uh, what is it? I've got an article here where they were, um, a newspaper article where they were trying to say these were the clues and these are how they thought they related to Jack Benny. So I'll first go through the clues, and I'll go through how they related to Jack Benny. So the first one is Bing Bong Bell is the first clue. Second clue, it's ten, and only one can tell. Third clue, the master of the metropolis fits his name quite well. Another clue is they played Auld Lang Syne. Then they had a whistling of Annie Laurie, the song. They had a cat's wail, which I think was uh, one of the helpful clues, maybe. A squeaky violin exercise, probably the biggest clue right there. Okay, let me go through these real quick. Bing Bong Bell, the, the newspaper article says, was for church bells, which of course were from Sunday. So that's the day Jack Benny's program was on. That's a hard connection. It's ten, and only one can tell. The tenth letter of the alphabet is J, Jack Benny's first initial. <sighs> Crazy clue. The next one, the master of the metropolis fits his name quite well. It says, Benny is the master of his radio show, Valet, Rochester. Rochester is the name of two cities, it says. Um... That is the most controversial clue that today um, a lot of folks think is very inappropriate with having a black uh, uh, person who works for you and then calling the, the person who he works for a master, of course, relates to slavery and so forth, and uh, uh, very uh, non-PC, of course. Uh, in the actual episode tonight, at about 23 minutes in, you can hear a joke made about that between Rochester and Jack, where Rochester calls Jack Master, and uh, for today's time anyway, a very inappropriate um, connotation there. Uh, let's see, There's uh, one of the clues was galloping horses and gunfire, and it says... Benny's motto is, Buck Benny Rides Again. That's a real stretch. 
they hadn't done Jack Benny, Buck Benny Rides again in many, many years by 1948. Um, <laughs> Lang Syne played on the trumpet, and that says that's a New Year's song. Jack's last movie is The Horn Blows at Midnight, so somehow it connects to that, but I don't know. Um, Let's see, what did they say? Uh, the whistling on of Annie Laurie, the song, I guess. The song begins, Max Welton Bray's are Bonnie. Benny's jalopy is the Maxwell. clues. <laughs> How could anybody guess this stuff? Then you've got, of course, the cat's whale. Well, violin strings are made of cat gut. So that's one of the ones that I think you could have probably perhaps piece together and then the easiest one the squeal of a violin exercise definitely shouts out jack benny uh, benny plays that on his show of course uh anyway some crazy crazy clues then uh, anyway jack made a big deal after we we played last night the the very first uh, truth or consequence episode to start the contest off then last night we played the final episode in which Jack comes on after uh, the woman guesses that uh, it was Jack Benny. He comes on and, and talks for a few minutes. And then, of course, tonight's episode, they refer back to it. And next week, we'll actually have Ralph Edwards, who's the host of Truth or Consequences, plus the, the woman who won the contest on Jack's show, to kind of seal this all up, but um, kind of a crazy contest, a crazy amount of money was raised, uh, it just seems whenever Jack's involved with anything like this, it always goes crazy, all his contests and everything. Um, anyway, I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode, uh, enjoy tonight's great episode of the Jack Benny Show, featuring the whole walking man a piece from um, The Truth or Consequences that Jack was on. Just a really cool week for Jack Benny shows. And we will see you next time. And now we're going to call in our walking man. Uh, <laughs> this should be something to hear. Uh, we take you to Jack Benny at his walking man hideout. He, this week, is in a secret home in Beverly Hills. He's been in Palm Springs. We had uh, the, uh, the, the keepers down there, the Bennetts of, of uh, Deepwell uh, Ranch. Uh, we had to go to a private bedroom there that even they didn't know about at the time through a friend to get, to get Jack Benny in the back bedroom there and all that kind of stuff to broadcast a couple of weeks. He also uh, was waiting at a secret home here in Beverly Hills that we'll tell you about, not his own, of course. And now he's waiting at that microphone to talk to you. And here he is, the walking man... Walking because he won't spend the money for cab fare. <laughs> walking man, that's a thing you overlook, sort of. If you knew the character of the man as a jokester, that, that, that there would be a comedy angle. But the factual angle is the walking man because Waukegan means walk again, as named by the Indians and Jack Benny, as of course, is from Waukegan, walk again, Illinois. So here he is, Jack Benny. Uh, come in, Jack. Yes. Uh, Jack. Jack. You can talk now, Jack. Look, they know who you are. Jack. 
Jack, look. The contest is over. You can stop walking. Thank goodness my feet are killing me. <laughs> yes, sir. And a bravo for one of the grandest guys in the world. Well, Jack, it's all over. Wasn't it a wonderful experience? The whole country was trying to guess the identity of the walking man. On everybody's lips, it was, Who is the walking man? Who's the walking man? And just imagine, it was you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I knew it all the time, Ralph. The first line in your jingle was a dead giveaway. The first line? Yeah. <laughs> Second for Sandy Claus, first for me. No. <laughs> I caught on right away. Yeah. Now, look, Jack, I know you're kidding. That, that was the jingle for Martha Graham in the Miss Hush contest. No, but seriously, uh, what do you think of uh, Mrs. Uh, Hubbard winning all those prizes? Isn't it exciting? Hmm. What's the matter, Jack? Don't, don't you think she deserved it? Oh, yes, yes. Well, look, Jack, uh, she sent in the winning letter. Well, you should have seen the letter I sent in. <laughs> My writers worked a week on it. <laughs> I think I'll fire him and hire uh, Mrs. Hubbard. No, <laughs> I know you're joking because you've kept it a real secret, and that I mean, and your writers will be the most surprised people of all. Look, even Mary didn't know about it, and that's the truth. And I believe you, Jack. The listeners will be interested to know that we used the house of my production manager, Al Pascal, a bachelor, so no one would be around on Saturdays except Joe Kay, the engineer, who also was assigned to Clara Bow during the Mrs. Hush contest. And, of course, all the sounds from The Walking Man were Jack Benny's own. When he tapped, danced, and whistled, that's what broke me up on the air. Well, Jack, now that it's all over, tell us how you felt being The Walking Man. Ralph, it was a great responsibility. I mean, all my life I was a clown, a buffoon, a violinist. Yeah. Oh. And suddenly, suddenly, yes. I became the center of attention of the entire nation. It is something to me inside. One morning while taking my daily walk, I looked up at the sky. It was the most beautiful blue you ever saw. Then, like magic, a white cloud appeared. It was so soft and fleecy. And right before my very eyes, it changed shape and form like a dream. And as I watched, it seemed to say something to me. What did it say, Jack? Royal Crown Cola. <laughs> I knew that someday my name would be up there in smoke. Yes, huh? Jack. Smoke from millions of Lucky Strike cigarettes. Thanks. You've made F.E. Boone very happy. <laughs> no, but Jack, uh, didn't any of your friends suspect you as being the walking man? No, but I did have one close call. You know, it was my night uh, to walk. Mm -hmm. The microphones were all set up. I put on my walking, uh, walking man shoes, and suddenly I made a horrible discovery. What happened? Mary had put rubber heels on the shoes. Oh. There wasn't a leather heel in the house. What'd you do? Well, I ran up to Mary's room, put on her patent leather pumps. Did, did, did Mary suspect anything? She suspected plenty, but not that I was the walking man. <laughs> well, Jack, uh, to get serious for a moment, we all want to thank you for unselfishly lending your time and name to this contest. The American Heart Association is now richer by over a million and a half thousand dollars, and that is out of this world. It's a fellow with a heart like yours who helps the ailing hearts of America. Well, Ralph, I want to thank you for choosing me as the walking man. It was a great honor to be part of this worthy cause. And on behalf of the American Heart Association, I want to thank all you people for sending in your contributions. I want to thank Mary for lending me her patent leather pumps. <laughs> and my congratulations to you, uh, Mrs. Hubbard, for sending in the winning letter. I'm sure you deserve to win. And Ralph. Yes, Jack. Uh, you should have seen my letter. It was a Lulu. By the way, Ralph. <laughs> yes. Would you ask Mrs. Hubbard? If she would like to also be a guest on my show. Of course, if she can't come, see if we can get Carson, Perry, and Scott. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. yes of course. <laughs> All right. I know she'd be delighted to be a guest on your show a week from tomorrow. Okay, boy. Thanks uh, a lot. Okay, Ralph. And, uh, by the way, Ralph, yes. uh, 
If she doesn't want that Bendix, the Rochester and I could use it. See? We take in laundry, you know. Yes, I know. Good night, everybody. Good night. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike and Lucky Strike alone offers you important evidence gathered in the tobacco country by the world-famous Crosley Pole. This evidence reveals the smoking preference of men who really know tobacco, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen. Here's what the Crosley Pole found. For their own personal smoking enjoyment, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike First choice. Lucky Strike, first choice over any other brand. This, their overwhelming preference for Lucky Strike, we believe has a direct relationship to the quality tobacco we purchase for Luckies and to the real, deep-down smoking enjoyment you may expect from fine tobacco. And when these veteran tobacco experts name Lucky Strike, first choice for their own personal smoking enjoyment, then you know. L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. So smoke the smoke, tobacco experts smoke, Lucky Strike. Remember, independent tobacco experts, again, name Lucky Strike, first choice. Lucky Strike, first choice over any other brand. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, since time immemorial, man has tried to achieve fame. We can't bring you a man who has left his footprints in the sands of time, but here's one who left his footprints on truth or consequences, the walking man, Jack Benny! Hello again, this is Bing Bong Bell talking. And Don, am I glad this contest is over. For eight weeks, all I did was walk, walk, walk. Walking up and down again. Walk, walk. Walking back and forth again. Boots, boots. Walking day and night again. Boots, boots. Walk, that's all I've been doing. Jack. Walking, walking, walking. Jack, control yourself. I wanted to break the monotony. I tried to run. They wouldn't let me. I tried to crawl, hop, skip, jump, anything. But no, I had to walk. Walk. I've got a bunion so big that next week it's going to have its own show. <laughs> Stella Callis. <laughs> Or, <laughs> Portia faces Dr. Show. <laughs> oh, now what I went through. Well, Jack, what are you complaining about? It was a very exciting contest. Everybody had a lot of fun, and it certainly didn't cost you anything. It didn't, eh? I wore a hole in my shoe and lost 80 cents. <laughs> Some fun. Well, what puzzles me is that with millions of people trying to guess who the walking man was... How did they manage to hide your identity? Don, you'll never know the trouble we went through to keep it a secret. Every Saturday night when Ralph Edwards went on the air, they picked me up in a big black limousine 
with the curtains drawn and drove me to mysterious hideouts. The loneliest places they could find where I'd be all alone. No. Yeah. <laughs> Don. Hey, it was good acting. <laughs> I didn't know he could do it. <laughs> Try, say that again, Don. No. Oh. For <laughs> one week. No, Don, you've never seen. Come here. Come here. You've never seen such. Mysterious hideout. One, one week, they took me to an old deserted house at Malibu Beach. Another time, they took me to an old abandoned stable. One night, they even took me to a theater that was showing the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> I mean, what eerie places. I've never had eight weeks of... Hello, such... Jack. Oh, hello, Mary. I was just telling Don about the walking man contest, what experiences I've had. Did you tell Don what happened last night when that lady guessed who it was, how you tried to kill yourself? Mary. Tried to kill himself? Why? Well, Jack misunderstood the rules. He thought he was supposed to get all those prizes. <laughs> I didn't want all of them. I would have been satisfied they'd just given me that diamond ring. That thousand-dollar diamond ring. But what prize is a ring, an aeroplane, a boat, an automobile, a, a three-room trailer? I tell you, Mary, it's a good thing the contest ended last night. Why? Because next week they were going to give away the Golden Gate Bridge, Boulder Dam, and Judy Canova. <laughs> Believe me, Mary, these last few weeks have certainly been hectic. You know, I've not only been the walking man, but I've had to make speeches at a lot of dinners. The Al Jolson dinner, Kay Kaiser, Luella Parsons. I know, Jack. I was at the Parsons dinner with you. Oh, that's right. You see how mixed up I am, Mary? I know. Say, Mary, I saw <laughs> pictures of that affair in the paper, and I want to tell you that was a beautiful evening gown you were wearing. Well, thank you, Jack. You're welcome. Mary, I'm the one who complimented your dress. Why did you thank Jack? He made it. <laughs> yes, sir. Why, Jack, I didn't know you could sew. <laughs> oh, he's a dinger on a singer. <laughs> You're darn right. Just give me a pattern, two yards of material, oil my bobbin, and watch me go. <laughs> but you're right. You're right, Don. Mary, Mary really did look beautiful at the Luella Parsons dinner. And, Don, you should have been there. Georgie Jessel was master of ceremonies, and he made the funniest speech. Funny speech, but he got two laughs. Little ones yet. Then Eddie Cantor got up, and he entertained for 20 minutes. Gee, was it that long? I fell asleep. <laughs> and then Bob Hope got up, and he was a riot. Some riot. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? This is Bob talking at the Luella Parsons Dinner Hope, telling you if you don't go to your druggist and buy Pepsodent, you'll have to go to your dentist and buy Cuspid. <laughs> then he took out Eddie Cantor's teeth and explained the joke. <laughs> what a night. Well, Jack, I don't care what you say. It was still a very swanky affair. Well, Mary, if it was such a swanky affair, you'd think they'd serve something better than bird's nest soup. That wasn't bird's nest soup. What? When you bend over to take a bow, your toupee fell in it. <laughs> oh, so that's what it was. I thought that... Hey, hey, Mary, here comes Dennis. He seems to be mumbling to himself. Yeah. I wonder what... Bing bong bell, it's ten and only one can tell. The master of the metropolis fits his... Dennis. Huh? Oh, hello, Mr. Benny. What are you doing? Promise you won't tell anybody? No. I think I know who the walking man is. <laughs> uh, 
you think you know who the walking man is? Yeah. Who is it? Sophie Tucker. <laughs> Dennis, what in the world makes you think it's Sophie Tucker? Well, she's the last of the Red Hot Mamas. Bing Bong Bell. All right, she's a Red Hot Mama. What's the Bing Bong Bell? Fire engines. <laughs> Dennis, look, in the first place, the walking man is a man. In the second place, it was guessed last night by a woman. Let's see, what was her name again? Sophie Tucker. No! <laughs> it was won by a lady in Chicago named Florence Hubbard. And the walking man is me. What's the second name? Whose? Me's. Cut <laughs> that out! <laughs> Dennis, if you'd have been here at the start of the program, you'd know what I'm talking about. Where were you? Oh, I'm sorry I was late, but I was out buying myself a car. A car? But, Dennis, you just bought a new car last month. I know. I traded it in for a used car. <laughs> Wait a minute, kid. Why, why should you trade in a brand new car and drive around in a used car? Oh, I want people to think I have money. <laughs> hmm. Oh, boy, did I put it over on that dealer. He gave me a 39 Plymouth, and I stuck him with my 47 Cadillac. <laughs> Dennis, what was wrong with the Cadillac? It was out of gas. <laughs> Dennis, you sure did put it over on him. Yeah, and all I have to pay is $40 a month. $40 a month? How long do you have to pay them? 1,200 months. <laughs> well, perhaps... Dennis, 1,200 months, that's 100 years. By the time you finish paying, you'll be over 120 years old. Well, that's not bad for a kid my age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Dennis, before you sing your song, I want to ask you... No, no, forget it. Go ahead and sing. Jack, what were we going to ask him? Well, I was going to ask him... No, no, go ahead and sing, kid. Jack, I don't know what it is, but go ahead, ask him. Oh, all right. Dennis, in this deal you made with that used car dealer, what happens if you fail to keep up the payment? Well, then my other program will be called The Day in the Life of Honest John. <laughs> I didn't want to ask him. I didn't want to ask him. You better sing, Dennis. Okay. You think after eight years I'd know enough to keep my mouth What'll I do with 
was What'll I Day, sung by Dennis Dew. I mean, what'll I... So mixed up today. Dennis, you may be kind of silly sometimes about the things you say, but when you sing, your, your voice is simply beautiful. I mean, it has a quality that seems to improve week after week. That's awfully nice of you to say that, kid. <laughs> kid? I'm 120 years old. All right. <laughs> that kid gets one subject. <laughs> I don't know yet. You can't get him off of it for... Oh, hello, Phil. Never mind that. Hello, Jackson. I want to have a little talk with you. Why? What's the matter, Phil? Plenty's the matter, Jackson. Hi, you live. <laughs> well, what? You listen to me. Yeah? Last week, you gave me that cross-examination about that's what I like about the South, and now I'm... Phil, we're doing a program. That can wait till we're finished. No, it can't, Dad. <laughs> Last week, you kept picking on my song and picking on it and picking on it. And when I went home, well, 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 I did something I haven't done in a long time. What was that? I cried. <laughs> well, the last time you cried was in 1920 when they voted prohibition. Would you two mind telling me what this is all about? Mary, it's nothing. Oh, it ain't, huh? You weren't here, Libby. But last week, Jackson told me that the words to That's What I Like About the South didn't make sense, and then he even had the nerve to say that there wasn't a town called do wad Diddy. No. Hey, you're as good as Don Wilson. <laughs> Look, Phil. After the program... We're going to talk about it right now. Huh? Now, I had Alice look do wad Diddy up in the encyclopedia, and she wrote down the whole history of the town. Now, here, Libby, read it to him. Well, why don't you read it yourself? This is in handwriting, Lib. I'm only a print man. <laughs> okay. okay. I'll read it. I went to college. I can read both. Yeah, look, Mary, we haven't got... Quiet, Jack. You've got this coming to you. <clears throat> Do our ditty, Mississippi. Duwah Diddy is a town located in the southern part of the state, hmm. at the foot of the Wadu Diddy Mountains, and on the banks. What? And on the banks of the Diddy Wadu River. Diddy Wadu. This river is famous because it runs backwards. Oh, oh! Now let's get on with the program. Oh, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Let her read it, Jackson. Go on, go on, Libby. The principal industry of Duwah Diddy is the manufacturing of box back coats and button shoes. <laughs> Hmm. This town also plays an important part in American history. It is famous because the Seminole Iroquois battles were fought there. Abraham Lincoln opened his presidential campaign there. And the town is also mentioned in that famous folk song, That's What I Like About the South. Uh, folk song? Hey, Jackson. What? Nah. <laughs> all right, Phil, all right. So there is such a town. But how did you happen to pick Dua Diddy to put in your song? Frankie, my guitar player, was born there. He told me what a wonderful place it is. Well, it's such a wonderful place. How come Frankie left it? Well, Jackson, he didn't exactly leave. You see, one dark night, they took him to the city limits, put him on the main highway, faced him towards the west, and gave him a hint to leave town. A hint? They said his pants on fire. <laughs> no! 
went through Kansas like Haley's Comet. <laughs> Phil, that was 15 years ago. I know that tar is hard to get off, but at least Frankie can remove the feathers. He looks like a seagull sitting there. <laughs> now, come on, let's get out of Wait a minute, not so fast, Jackson. Take it easy. Now, look. Alice told me to say that unless a retraction is forthcoming from you, our association must be terminated. Alice told you to say that? Yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> it means that I have to apologize to you, and this whole silly thing started out Jack, with a... why do you and Phil keep arguing over that song? It's such a simple thing to settle. All right. Phil, if you want to apologize me to apologize to you, I do. Do you accept the apology? I do. I now pronounce you man and wife. <laughs> Look, we're not getting married. Think of the children. Oh, shut up! <laughs> and Phil, now that I've apologized, I hope you're satisfied. I'm happy if you are, walking man. Oh, you heard the truth of consequences last night. What do you mean, last night? I knew it was you the minute I heard your footsteps. You know, there's only one thing that threw me. What? I couldn't hear your cane. <laughs> well, I've got news for you, Phil. They wanted you to be the walking man, but they could never find you in that position. <laughs> now, come on, Don. We've got a play to do tonight, so give us the introduction. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Jack. Don't you think we ought to do the commercial first? The commercial? Oh, yes, I forgot. Well, I have the sportsman right here. Oh, the quartet? Good, yeah. good. And you'll be happy to know that when they heard you were the walking man, they stayed up all night preparing a number especially for you. For me? Is that right, boys? Mm. Well, fine, fine. Let's hear it. He walked alone, and he was lonesome and blue. No one knew him. No one ever spoke to him. Just imagine my plight each Saturday night. He walked alone and thought that someone would surely soon get scared. No one ever said yes, that's him. When they guessed they'll be mayor, I tore my hair. They thought it was Churchill, Eddie Cantor was named. Bing Crosby got a call. They guessed Harry Truman, Patrillo was blamed. <laughs> then Richard Dix, and that's not all. Jack walked alone, he traveled lonesome and blue by the hour. From La Brea to Gower. <laughs> he walked alone. He walked alone. And both his feet were so tired from those marches. Needed starch in my arches. How my tootsies did swell. Oh, bing bong bell. <laughs> he walked alone. And wished he had Effie Boone right there beside him. Speedy Reeks there to guide him. Lucky strikes in his hand. My favorite brand. 
with men from Kentucky who know them the best. It's LSMFT. Jack's not from Kentucky. No, he's from the West. But still he likes those lucky strides. He walked alone. They told him he mustn't rest on the benches. It was truth or consequence. He walked alone. Very good, boys. Very good. Don, that was a cute idea. I thought you'd like it. I didn't say I liked it. I said it was a cute idea. <laughs> what I mean is I appreciate the fact that the boy... Come in. Telegram for Jack Benny. <laughs> Take it, Mary. Here, boy. Here's something for you. But, Mr. Benny, this shoe's got a hole in it. Just shake it. There's 20 cents in the lining there. Now go. Mary, who's the telegram from? Fred Allen. From Fred Allen? What does he say? Uh, dear Jack, you may be happy to know that when the contest first started, I knew it was you. I can recognize the heel whether he's talking or walking. <laughs> How do you like that? Well, wait a minute, there's more. Yeah? I have something else I can call you, but if I put it in the telegram, they'll fade your program. <laughs> Two jokes in a row. He must have called in a writer. You know, Mary, the only reason Alan sent me that wire is that he's jealous of everything that happens to me. Anything I do, he makes an issue out of it. He doesn't like the way I play my violin. On that issue, even the Democrats are united. Democrats, Democrats, Democrats. Hey, joke. that's it. What? If it isn't Sophie Tucker, it's Henry Wallace. Oh. <laughs> Dennis, I try to tell you that the walking man has been guessed already. It's me. Now, you don't have to try and guess it anymore. The whole thing is over. It's finished. Oh, there's the phone. Hello? Hello, Master, this is the Metropolis. <laughs> oh, hello, Rochester. What do you want, Rochester? I was worried about you, boss. You didn't come home last night. Well, I couldn't help it. Because of the contest, I had to stay up all night with my writers and rewrite my program for today. Did you write an apart for me? No. Then what am I doing on the phone? <laughs> I don't know. You called me. Okay, then I'll hang up. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Rochester. Are you listening to the program? Uh-huh. Well, we had to stay up all last night and write it. How does it sound? Do you want the truth or the consequences? <laughs> Look, never mind. I'll find out after the show. So long, Rochester. Goodbye. Oh, oh, say, wait a minute. Have there been any phone calls for me today? Boss, the phone's been ringing all day. All day long, people have been calling up to congratulate you. For being the walking man? Oh, for being able to walk. <laughs> now stop with the joke. Uh, by the way, boss, I got the garage all cleaned out. The furniture moved out of the living room and the front door wide open. When does the truck come? The truck? Oh, Rochester. We were mistaken about that. <laughs> I found out that I don't get those prizes. You see, they go to the winner of the contest. You mean we ain't gonna get that airplane? No. Or the boat? No, I'm afraid not, Rochester. The trailer? 
No, I'm sorry. And we even gonna spend those two glorious weeks together in Sun Valley? <laughs> no, all those prizes go to Florence Hubbard of Chicago, Illinois. Oh, then that explains the letter I found on your dresser. Letter? Uh, here it is. It's in your handwriting and it says, My dear Miss Hubbard, I'm six foot two, have broad shoulders, blonde wavy hair, blue eyes, and friends compare me with Van Johnson. Rochester. I'm single, congenial, companionable, and dance divinely. Rochester. Uh, we'll meet you at the train. Understand you already have the ring. <laughs> Rochester. Say, boss. What? You want me to finish this for you? How would you know what to say? Oh, I'll take out some of the things you wrote in that other letter. Which letter? The one you wrote to the lady who won the Irish sweepstakes. <laughs> Rochester, it won't be necessary to send any letter. Florence Hubbard, the winner of the Walking Man contest, is going to be on my program next Sunday, and so is Ralph Edwards. Good, good. Uh, by the way, boss, those contests are wonderful. Why don't you have one and give away prizes? Oh, I don't know, Rochester. What kind of prizes could I give? Well, you could give away your car, your uh, violin, an old toupee, and two glorious weeks at Do-Wah-Diddy. <laughs> Say, that's a pretty good idea. I'll think it over. So long, Rochester. Goodbye, boss. Gee, I hope Florence is cute. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen... I want to join Ralph Edwards in thanking the millions of people who entered the Walking Man contest and contributed so generously to the American Heart Association. These contributions totaled over one and a half million dollars, and this money will be used for scientific research to combat heart disease, America's number one killer. Even though this contest is over, fundraising campaigns will continue because the need is still great. I also want to congratulate Ralph Edwards for the wonderful job he's doing and thank him for inviting me to participate in such a worthy cause. Jack, we'll be back in just a minute, but first... Independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike first choice. Lucky Strike, first choice over any other brand. That statement is backed up by an impartial Crosley poll just completed in 11 southern tobacco states. This poll, taken among tobacco experts, reveals the smoking preference of the men who really know tobacco. Yes? For their own personal smoking enjoyment, independent tobacco experts again name Lucky Strike, first choice. Lucky Strike, first choice over any other brand. These are the experts, auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen. And we believe their overwhelming preference for Lucky Strike has a direct relationship to the quality tobacco we purchase for Luckies. You've heard the poll results. Now listen to what Mr. S.M. Cutts, ace tobacco auctioneer from North Carolina, recently said. Year after year, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy fine tobacco, right prime leaf. I've smoked Lucky's 17 years. So for your own real, deep-down smoking enjoyment, remember... L.S.M.F.T., L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, be sure to hear the Phil Harris Alice Faye show on Sundays and a day in the life of Dennis Day on Wednesday. And on my program next week, our guests will be Florence Hubbard, 
the winner of the Walking Man contest, and Ralph Edwards. Mary, I've done so much walking with this contest. How about you and me going for a ride up to Mulholland Drive? And, you know, and, and park. No, thanks. The last time I did that, I became the walking lady. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. The Fitch Bandwagon with Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Shining as though it had been brushed And brushed And brushed That's the way your hair will be when you use Fitch's new cream shampoo For Fitch thoroughly cleanses the heaviest or finest hair Leaves it smooth and glistening with romantic highlights. Fitch Cream Shampoo is made with two beneficial beauty aids, purified lanolin and the finest olive oil. Lanolin is used to soften the hair. Olive oil is used to bring out sparkling highlights. A small dab of Fitch Cream Shampoo whips into hands full of double-rich lather. Then to rinse, a swish of plain water, and every bubble of suds is gone. Fitch Cream Shampoo is economical, too. Compare the size of the jar, compare its low cost at drug or toilet goods counters by Fitch Cream Shampoo for softer, shinier hair. The F.W. Fitch Company, makers of Fitch Shampoo, presents the Fitch Bandwagon with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, June Foray, Alan Reed, Walter Scharf and his music, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. For the past few weeks, Phil and Frankie have had their hearts set on taking a day off to go fishing. Today is the day, and to get an early start, Phil has set the alarm for 5 a.m. And now as we look in, Phil is sound asleep, and it's almost time for the alarm to go off. Come with me to Alabama. Come and see my dear old mammy. She's broiling eggs and frying hammy. And that's what I like about the South, South, about the South. Huh? What? Oh, all right. All right. Hello? 
This is the Harris residence. This is a fine time to be calling. <laughs> All right, operator, you can stop ringing. I've answered it. Oh, look, operator, do you want to wake everybody up? Stop ringing the phone. Stop ringing the... Uh-oh, it's the alarm clock. Oh, gee, I better turn that alarm off before it wakes Alice and the kids. Oh, darn it. Now, where's that clock? Five o'clock in the morning. Ooh, it's pitch dark in here. I can't see a thing. Now, where is that thing? Uh-oh, it sounds like it's over this way. Ooh, my shin. Oh, right on the bone. Oh. Fine place for a chair. Ooh. Oh. Why does there have to be a table there? Ooh. Oh, my nose. What stupid fool put this wall in the middle of the room? Oh, five o'clock. Oh. oh, there's that clock. Let me see now. If I was an alarm clock, where would I be? Uh-oh, here it is. <clears throat> there. Well, thank goodness it didn't wake anybody. Now to sneak in and... Oh, cut it out, will you, Big Ben? I just shut you off. <laughs> but stop ringing. Uh-oh, now it's the phone. Now, where's that darn phone? Ooh! Oh! Oh, there it is. Hello? This is the operator. Were you trying to reach me a minute ago? No, honey, no. Believe me, I'm not trying to reach you. But your phone was off the hook. I know, I know. I took it off, lady. I took it off. The alarm rang, and I answered the phone. Are you sober, sir? <laughs> of course I'm... Oh, never mind. Gee whiz. Lucky Alice is a sound sleeper. Now if I can just get dressed and... Oh, nuts. Now look at that. My foot's caught in that phone wire. Well, I'm just going to have to yank it out. <clears throat> Uh-oh, now I've knocked the phone over. Having fun, dear? Quiet, Alice. I don't want to wake you up. Oh, I'm wide awake, thank you. Oh, you are? Oh, gee. What awakens you, honey? You, Twinkle Toes. You banged into everything in the room. I did not bang into everything. I didn't break a window in the place. Oh, Phil, as long as I'm awake, why don't you and Frankie take me fishing with you? Honey, look, I keep telling you, it's not for any women. Now, this is strictly stag. Now, please go back to sleep. I'm late already. Gee whiz, I'm supposed to pick Frankie up by now, and I... Uh-oh. Now, who can be ringing the doorbell at 5.30 in the morning? Probably one of the neighbors to tell you you're making too much noise. Okay, I'll go down and answer it. A fine time to be ringing a doorbell. Whoever it is sure has got a lot of nerve. If that's that crabby neighbor next door, I'll tell him off. Look, you, if you don't like the noise I'm making, just say something, I'll punch you right in the nose. That's my, what... my, aren't we testy this morning? <laughs> Oh, it's you, Frankie. I, I couldn't see you. Come on, then. Why don't you open your eyes? Oh, man, I... Just <laughs> don't get funny. I've been through murder, Jack. I'm bleeding and everything. <laughs> Ooh, 5.30 in the morning. How can you get so early? What are you doing here? I'm supposed to pick you You're up. You're five minutes late. I can't wait all day. I'm anxious to go fishing. <laughs> Got to get up there early while they're biting. You said it, boy. They bite early in the morning. Oh, man, I'm as anxious <laughs> as you are. You know how I love that fishing. Hey, you got all the equipment with you? Yeah, I got rods, reels, leaders, sinkers. Good. Man, I can't wait to get up in them mountains. I found out something, boy. Fishing is really a he-man sport. I also brought along a can of beautiful worms. Please, Frankie. 
You know that word makes me feel faint. <laughs> well, if you're all ready, let's get going. Okay, huh? Remy, hold it a minute. So long, Alice. I'll be back sometime tonight. Bye, Phil. Have a nice time. Bye, Alice. Bye, Frankie. Come on, Curly. We got to pick up Walter yet. Yeah. Ooh, man. Kind of dark and cold out here this time of morning, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Not this morning is good for you. Yeah. It's clear. Crisp. You said it. <laughs> Man, this air is really beautiful, ain't it? Yeah. Hey, Frankie, I got to take a good deep breath of this. Me too. Come on. That's <laughs> <laughs> invigorating, ain't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess you got to get used to this stuff kind of gradually. <laughs> it'll, I think it's slow. Yeah, it'll work, though. It'll work. Hey, Frankie, I don't see your car. Where'd you park it? No car. I come over in a cab. My car's in the shop. Something wrong with it. There's always something wrong with your car. No wonder you never take care of it. Oh, stop nagging me. Let's get in your car and get going. I'm not nagging you. I'm only telling you this for your own good, Frankie. All right, all right. Step on the starter and let's get going. Yes. You ought to know by now. You can't keep things in good order if you don't take care of them. I take care of my things, and that's why I never have any trouble. I know when I get in my car, it's going to start. You can bet everything you got it's going to start, because when I... Did you say something, Curly? Yeah. The motor. The motor's a little cold, that's all. It'll start. Car in pain? <laughs> I wonder what's wrong. Sounds like maybe its fender pants are too tight. <laughs> maybe you ought to loosen its fan belt a notch or two. Don't get gay, will you? It's too early. I gotta get it started. Just happens that I'm quite a mechanic. I'll check everything that could be technically wrong. Now let's start off. Let's see. Uh, what does the gas gauge say? Fuel. That's full. <laughs> Okay, we got enough gas now. Is the ignition key on? Yeah. Is the cigar lighter working? <laughs> yep. Hmm. In that case, I'm completely baffled. Curly, maybe we'd better get out and look at the motor. Okay, let's get out and look at it. All right, Frankie, lift up that hood, huh? That's at this end, eh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh. It's a complicated-looking mess, ain't it? Yeah. Uh-oh, I see what's wrong now. The transmission's too close to the deferential. Well, push them apart. Fix it. We gotta get up to the lake early while the fish are still sleepy and they don't know what they're doing. Well, take it easy, will you? I'm doing it as fast as I can. I want to get to that lake, too. Do I want to get there? Yeah. Oh, boy, I can just see those bass and crappie and bluegill biting all over the place. Yes, sir. <laughs> You get a line and I'll get a pole, honey. You get a line and I'll get a pole, babe. You get a line and I'll get a pole and we'll go down to the crawdad hole, honey, baby mine. Yonder come a man with a sack on his back, honey. Yonder come a man with a sack on his back, babe. Yonder come a man with a sack on his back, got more crawdads than he can pack, honey, baby mine.
Whoop, that man fell down the varsity sack, honey. That man fell down the varsity sack, babe. That man fell down the varsity sack. Just watch him crawdads back and back, honey, baby mine. I sell my crawdads three for a dime, honey. I sell my crawdads three for a dime, babe. I sell my crawdads three for a dime. Ain't no crawdads as good as mine, honey, mm, baby mine. What are you gonna do when you lose your pole, honey? What are you gonna do when you lose your pole, babe? What are you gonna do when you lose your pole? Just sit and look down that crawdad hole, honey, baby mine. What are you gonna do when the creek goes dry, honey? What are you gonna do when the creek goes dry, babe? What are you gonna do when the creek goes dry? Just sit and watch those crawdads die, honey, baby mine. Well, get up, Kate, you slept too late, honey. Oh, get up, Kate, you slept too late, babe. Get up, Kate, you slept too late. That crawdad man done past your gate, honey. Baby mine. Should we get to work on the car now, Curling? <laughs> That is, if you're all through singing. <laughs> Ain't no use, Frankie. I can't fix it. Maybe there's something wrong under the car. Let's crawl under and look. All right. Hey, there's a lot of stuff under here, Curly. Yeah. Hey, Franklin, I wonder if this rod here has anything to do with it. What untidy person left these four feet lying here in the street? <laughs> oh, it's Julius. Yeah, what are you doing up so early, kid? I'm on my way to work at the market. What are you guys doing under the car? What are we doing? <laughs> We're putting in a glass bottom. <laughs> a glass bottom? What for? So if we hit a pedestrian, we can look down and see if it's anybody we know. <laughs> to stop for no stranger. No. <laughs> now, go away. We're trying to fix the car. Well, if you're having trouble, I can help you. I do all the repair work on the delivery truck. Oh, you do? Well, took a look, uh, take a look at that motor, kid. It won't start. You know, that always happens to my truck. I'll fix it the same way. First, I take this wire and put it over here. Then I take that wire and put it over there. Then I push them together like this and... <laughs> Julius, Julius, the motor's on fire. <laughs> That's funny. The same thing always happens to my truck. <laughs> She's on fire, all right. Well, that's one way of warming the motor up. Hold it, Julius. Hey, beat it, you little firebug. You, Frankie, do something. Don't just stand there. All right, there. don't get excited. Oh. I know just what to do. Hand me the hammer. Thanks. What are you doing? I'm knocking a hole in the radiator. The water will put the fire out. <laughs> Cut that out, will you? Pull them wires apart, Julius. Pull them away from there. Oh, no. Look at it now. Watch it burn. Yeah, the motor's smoking. How can we get it to stop? Hang up a no-smoking sign. (laughs) That ain't funny. It's as funny as knocking a hole in the radiator. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. 
I think my joke had a certain air of subtlety about it that yours completely lacked. That's a matter of opinion. I think my joke was that more apropos at a moment and therefore had a more humorous vein. Thank you, Abbott and Costello. <laughs> Get out of here, Julius, you, you, you arsonist, you. Get out of here. So long, Julius. Yeah, so long. You, you're as bad as he is. Lucky I got the fire out while you two were going through that corny routine. <laughs> Frankie, we ain't never gonna get it started. Now, how are we gonna go fishing? Your car's in the shop, and now mine won't start. I'll have to borrow a car. How about Alice? It's being painted. You can't... Hey, wait a minute. What? Her brother Willie's got a car. We can... No, no. You see, Willie won't let anybody else drive uh, his car except Alice. Well, we'll take Willie with us. Let him drive. I wouldn't take him along as live bait. <laughs> we need him, Curly. I don't... It's the only way we can get up there. Now, come on. Let's go all back in the right, house and call all him. All right, I'll try anything. Now, look what time it's getting to be. We've wasted the best part of the day. I know, I know. Oh, Alice! Oh, hello, Phil. Did you have a nice fishing trip? <laughs> Say, you got a big one this time. That's Frankie. <laughs> we didn't even leave yet. No, I can't even get my car started. I'm going to call Willie and see if he'll drive us up there in his car. Oh, you're wasting your time, Phil. I don't think William is interested in fishing. We got to get him to drive us. What is he interested in? And whatever it is, we'll tell him they got it up there. Yeah, that's it. That's good. Yeah. We'll tell him they've got a ginger peachy bookkeeping machine up there. <laughs> no, no, that won't do it, Curly. It's got to be something that'll get him excited enough to... <clears throat> Wait a minute. A yo-yo? No. <laughs> Ever since I got him a date a couple of weeks ago, he's been after me to get him another one. He's been showing a lot of interest in girls. Girls? Girls. <laughs> that's it, that's it. Look, we'll tell him there are a lot of beautiful girls up there at the lake, some pretty things, and that we're going up there. Hold we'll... it, Buster, hold it. <laughs> are you going fishing or what? Alice, wait a minute. Can't you see? We're only kidding. There's no girls up there. We're just going to tell Willie that to get him interested. That's all. Come on, Frankie. Let's give him a call. Oh, but, Phil, on. don't you think you... Oh, I'll get it. Hello, Alice, dear. Oh, hello, William. What are you doing here so early? Oh, I just stopped by on my way to work. Oh, Phil's inside calling you now. He wants to talk to you about going to Lake Henshaw with him and Frankie. Lake Henshaw? Mm -hmm. I'd love to go. There's great fishing up there, and lately, you know, I've taken up fishing as a hobby. Oh, no, really? Yes. But the boys seem to think you're only interested in At the... At last, uh, Philip, I, Philip and I have something in common. Well, I must go right in and discuss this fishing trip with him. But, William... Uh, Fishing is such a thrilling sport. <laughs> Hitting my brute strength against that of a fighting bluegill. <laughs> Nothing so exhilarating as... Good morning, Philip. Good morning, William. <laughs> you. For the oh, first William. time in seven years, am I glad to see you. Hey, I was just trying to get you on the phone, kid. Okay, Curly, go on. Get going on, Willie. Lay it on. Think about the damn Philip, sorry. Uh, uh, Alice. <laughs> Philip, Alice tells me you uh, want me to go to Lake Henshaw with you and Frankie. That's right, Willie. Let me tell you something. You ain't going to regret it, kid. Look. You see, that's a lake resort up there, and they got some beauties, uh... You know what I mean? Yes, I know what you mean. I've been up there before. Last time I was there, I almost got myself a honey. Oh, you did? <laughs> yes, I was after her all day long, but she finally got away. You know, she was two feet long. 
<laughs> well, those little ones are pretty fast on their feet, aren't they? I know, I, I, I used to have a little trouble with them, too Some of them put up a terrific fight I don't know how to handle them when they start fighting What do you do, Philip? I used to make them get out and walk <laughs> You know, sometimes the big ones are a little tough, too Oh, I know Last month I fought one for two hours She put up a terrific battle, but I finally landed her Yeah, how? I pulled her into the boat and hit her over the head with an oar <laughs> So mild-mannered You can't tell about these quiet guys sometimes like you. Uh, Personally, Willie, I prefer the more subtle approach And I do all right with them Oh, really? What do you use for bait? Champagne, caviar, fur coats What do you use? Worms <laughs> They love them They do? And to think all the money I used to waste Are you sure they like worms? They do. That's what I used last week, and I brought three beauties back with me. Yeah, three of them? What'd you do with them? Oh, I had them frozen and put them in the icebox. <laughs> well, defrost a couple. We'll have a party tonight. Well, <laughs> fine. How would you like them? Fried or broiled? Fried. <laughs> broiled, huh? Fried or broiled. Think there's something wrong? Gotta be. Wait a minute, Willie. Are we talking about the same thing? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about fishing. You know, it's my favorite sport. I just love it. You do? Oh, come to me, oh brother-in-law of mine. My <laughs> love. Come on. Come on. Let's pile into your car and get up to the lake, oh brother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Willie well, I can't today I'm so sorry I have to go to the office But please ask me some other time oh. oh, I'd better hurry I'm walking to work this morning I don't want to be late Oh, well, wait You, you can't possibly go, Willie? No, I'm well, sorry Well, look Oh, listen Well, if you're not using your car How about letting Frank and me take it, huh? I'm sorry, Philip But I have a hard and fast rule Against anyone using my car Except Alice and myself Mm-hmm <laughs> Goodbye, Philip. <laughs> there goes a perfect backlash. That stuffed shirt. That's His car's sitting in the garage, and he won't let us have it. Bird's nest fay. That's. <laughs> Sometimes I got a good mind to... to wait a minute, Frankie, wait a minute what? now We might, well, we still might get it I got an idea You see, Alice has got a set of keys for Willie's car Well, let's get him We'll tell her Willie said we could take his car No, Frankie, she ain't gonna go for that Are you crazy? We can't fool Alice She's too smart for us Too smart for us? Don't be ridiculous All women are dumb I'm willing to bet the two guys like us Are as smart as the dumbest woman any day <laughs> Yeah? You mean flatter? That's it. Yeah. That's what we'll do. We'll flatter. You know, all women go for flattery. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, man. <laughs> Alice! Did you call me, Phil? Oh, yeah, honey. Come in here. Hey, Frankie. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. Get a load of that gal there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, feast your eyes on that pretty thing there. Ain't she a lovely thing? Yeah. She's gorgeous yeah. I certainly am And you're not getting the keys to Willie's car 
However, if you let me go with you, I'll drive you up there. Nothing doing. We ain't taking no woman. No, we ain't. Well, if you ain't, you ain't going. Oh, this is blackmail, honey. What's the matter with you? You can't blackmail. Oh, all right. You can go. Oh, thanks, fellas. I promise I won't be any trouble. Please, let's get started already. Very well. I'll just go upstairs and... Oh, dear. Now, what's the matter? I haven't a thing to wear. Oh, for crying out loud. Oh, wait a minute, Frankie. Look, honey, I got an old pair of pants and a shirt and a hat upstairs. It's just right for fishing. Now, will you hurry? Go on up there and put them on. Okay, hurry okay, up. Okay, okay, I'll be right down, boys. Oh, I knew I could get Phil to take me. When a man's in love with you, you can get him to do anything you want. Mmm, what a weapon. Love, love, hooray for love. Who is ever too blasé for love? Make this a night for love. If we have to fight, let's fight for love. Some sigh and cry for love. Ah, but in Paris, they die for love. Some waste away for love. Just the same hooray for love. It's the wonder of the world. For the blunder of the world. It's a rocket to the moon. With a touch of Claire de Lune. It gets you high. It gets you low. But once you get that glow. Some trust to fate for love, others have to take off weight for love. Some go berserk for love, loafers even go to work for love. Sad songs are sobbed for love, people have their noses bobbed for love. Some say we pay and pay for love. Just the same hooray for love. <laughs> hey, honey, you sure look funny in my old clothes. You know something? <laughs> you look just like a man. Oh, now, Phil, you stop laughing at me. <laughs> Taking a dame on a fishing trip. Oh, All right, sorry. Frank, okay. Well, here we are at Willie's garage. Look, Alice, give me the garage key and I'll open the door. All right, Phil, I have it right here in my purse and I... Oh, oh, fellas. What? what? I forgot the key to the garage. I think I'll kill myself. <laughs> Kill yourself later, Frankie. Now, don't get excited. I can open it with one of my hairpins. Darn it, I don't have a hairpin. Here, honey, use one of mine. <laughs> Stop wasting time with hairpins. I'll smash the lock open with this rock. There, it's off. Now, let's get in the car and go fishing. Yeah, it's going to be sundown before we even get up there. Oh. Oh. Thank goodness, at last we're getting started. All right, you three. Come out of that car with your hands up. It's a car. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> What's this all about, officer? As if you didn't know. I saw you three hobos break open this garage and try to steal this car. Steal a car? Now, wait a minute, officer. Do I look like a hobo? You certainly do, bud. <laughs> Hold it, Dick Tracy. <laughs> you made a mistake there. We look this way because we're going fishing. We're Phil Harris and Alice Fay. And I'm Ozzie and Harriet. <laughs> 
Would you mind telling me which one of you is the glamorous Alice Faye? I am. That's right, and I'm the glamorous Phil Harris. <laughs> I'm the ravishing Frankie Rumley. <laughs> Now, look, officer, my brother owns this car, and I'm borrowing... Yeah, it yeah, I know. Come along, Ollie. I'm pulling you in. Cossack. Wait a minute. Hold it. Hold it. This has gone far enough. Now, we didn't steal this car. We're honest citizens, and you can't take us to jail. We're going fishing, and neither you or anybody else is going to stop us. You understand? Stand aside. Now, come on, Alice and Frankie. Let's go. This is certainly a wonderful day for fishing, Phil. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful, honey? Mm. Now, reel your line, then. Uh, well, I, I, I can't. I, I can't, Phil. It's caught in something over there. It's caught. Ain't that just like a dame to get her line snagged? All right, all right. Take it easy. Take it easy. Look, I'll ask that guy over there to get it loose for you, honey. Hey, uh... Hey, bud. What do you want? Would you please unloosen that fish hook from the bars on that opposite cell? Phil will be back in just a moment. Dandruff is inexcusable. Yes, dandruff is inexcusable because all dandruff can be removed with one application of Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. Leading medical authorities say there are two kinds of dandruff. One is loose and flaky. It's the unsightly kind other people see. The second type clings to the scalp. It's the invisible, irritating kind you can feel. No other shampoo but Fitch removes both kinds of dandruff completely. So be free of unsightly dandruff. Be free of invisible, irritating dandruff. Yes, be free of all embarrassing dandruff with Fitch. Fitch is the only shampoo made that's guaranteed to remove dandruff with the first application. And the Fitch guarantee is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. Remember, dandruff is inexcusable. So to remove your dandruff, switch to Fitch. Use it regularly each week. At drug counters, barber, and beauty shops, Ask for Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. Fitch is spelled F-I-T-C-H. Girls, for softer, shinier hair, use Fitch's new cream shampoo. It's made with purified lanolin and the finest olive oil. Lanolin to soften, olive oil for sparkling highlights. Try Fitch Cream Shampoo. Bill Foreman speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Jack Benny Show. Uh, tonight's episode is one of those episodes that doesn't have a whole lot going on but is so much fun to listen to for just the interaction of the cast to each other. Jack and Mary go at it pretty good tonight, and there's some great scenes with uh, Phil and Jack and, you know, Don and Jack. It's just, it's, it's a fun episode. And these early ones will, to me, sometimes do this more often than the later ones. It, it, it's like we've talked about before with Seinfeld, where they'd say it was a show about nothing. Well, Jack's was the first show that could truly be about nothing sometimes, or very little. And uh, it was still completely entertaining and completely sucks you in by just the quality of the writing 
and the quality of the acting that they, the whole cast pulls off. Now, later on, in the, they have shows that I think generally more people um, like or are considered more classic in the late uh, 40s and early 50s, but they don't have as many shows that are just kind of, uh, like I say, about nothing. They're, they've always got something that's going on. Some it's, it's, It becomes more of a sitcom situation. Whereas these early shows, sometimes they, they will just uh, fill the space, fill the, I think it's Ed Beloyne and Bill Morrow's writing that probably just can not have to be anything uh, going on. I mean, they'll bring things in, of course, but there won't be like, Jack needs to get this thing done, or or uh, or Jack needs to go somewhere, or whatever. There sometimes they'll just be kind of a breather episode where there's just the cast talking to each other, and they'll you know they'll bring us a skit at the end or whatever. But um, I just think it's fun to to, to experience these episodes uh, as well that don't have as much going on. If you would like access to all of the Jack Benny podcasts I've ever done, then uh, I, I'm giving that to anyone who makes a $25 donation or more to the podcast. Um, I was going to make it be, if I had to pay for the extra space, I was going to make it be a $39 level, but I decided to drop it to 25 since so many people have joined up and allowed us to have that space for free, which is really nice. So uh, if you want access to all the old podcasts, all of them that I've ever done, I think I think on Podomatic there's probably, boy, maybe half of them, if that, maybe a third of the podcasts I've done uh, available if you go back and look and you have to search and all of that stuff, whereas this is all just in one file that you can easily find what you're looking for and listen to whatever episode you want. And the cool side, too, is that it's dynamic. So as I, I drop more episodes in there, they'll show up on your end, and you don't have to, like, you know, update it at the end of a year or each year updated or something. It'll be a constant updating of files, which is kind of cool. Anyway, because uh, this is just a feature that a lot of people have asked me for, and I was just trying to figure out how I could do it in an easy way that wasn't... Uh, time encumbrance to me, like making DVDs for everybody, and uh, this works out pretty slick. And let's see, what's the other thing? Oh, now we're continuing to get more space, which is nice. So I'm starting to put more and more other podcasts out there, you know, the Gunsmoke podcasts and podcasts I've done on uh, Fred Allen and Bing Crosby and, you know, all the other shows. And so if you want access to all of those, uh, if you join at the $39 level or above, the Jack, ben Jack Benny level, uh, I will give you access to all the podcasts that I have available. Anyway, enjoy tonight's episode, and we will see you tomorrow. J-E-L-L-O! The Jell-O program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston and Phil Harris and his orchestra. The orchestra opens a program with I Love to Whistle from Mad About Music. <laughs>
All of us are running a race with a clock. A hundred things to do and so few hours in which to do them. Well, here's one good way to save time and save money, too. And that's to serve Jell-O often. For Jell-O is delightfully simple to prepare. It takes only a moment to dissolve and it's quick setting. You can put a mold of Jell-O in the refrigerator before you go out shopping in the morning and take out a delicious dessert at lunchtime. And Jell-O is one of the most inexpensive desserts you can serve for a package costs only a few cents. No matter which flavor you choose, you can be sure of an easy, economical, and attractive dessert every time. For Jell-O brings you that delicious, extra-rich fruit flavor that rivals the fresh fruit itself. So be sure to insist on genuine Jell-O when you buy. And buy it often, serve it often, for Jell-O is a grand dessert. as I Love to Whistle, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you... Hold it a minute, Don. How about letting me introduce myself tonight, just for a change? You know, something different. Oh, sure, Jack, but uh, what's the idea? Well, Don, every week you always say some ridiculous thing that starts me off with a handicap. <laughs> now, I think there ought to be a little more dignity to these introductions. All right, Jack, all right, you take it. <clears throat> that was I Love to Whistle, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we bring you one of the sweetest guys in the world. That sparkling personality and all-around good fella, Jack Benny. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. <laughs> it's all right, kid, you deserve it. You see, Don, an introduction like that gives me the right kind of a build-up so that I can carry on with a feeling of confidence. Yes, but, Jack, uh, I could have introduced you the same way. I know, Don, but I sound more sincere. <laughs> you know, it rings true. Yes, but it also sounds a little egotistical, doesn't it? Oh, I don't know. I think Don's right, Jack. It sounded pretty conceited to me. You don't say, Phil. Yes, bragging like that is in very bad taste. Now, if my orchestra just finished the number, I personally would never turn around and say it was great. No, Phil, neither would anyone else. <laughs> hmm. With that gang of cadenza butchers, <laughs> you, ought to be, you ought to be glad to be working at all. Listen, Jack, it's your own fault. When I was hired for this job, you said you wanted me and 17 men. You didn't specify musicians. <laughs> I know, Phil, but you told me you were a leader of a band. Well, so was Robin Hood, but he didn't have to worry about music. <laughs> anyway, it's a fine bunch of boys you've got. I accidentally dropped my cigar a few minutes ago, and I had to, had to fight off your whole orchestra to get it back. <laughs> well, they thought you were through with it. <laughs> I nearly killed that for you. Didn't I? <laughs> oh, well. Uh... And incidentally, now that we're discussing my job, I'm getting pretty tired of matching you double or nothing for my salary every week. Don't blame me, Phil, if you're unlucky matching coins. Well, it's been going on for eight weeks. There's something funny about it. Oh, no, there isn't. You stand just as much chance as I do, so let's forget it. 
Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. What's the trouble now? Oh, the same thing. Phil's beefing as usual. I never saw such a guy. Ain't it the truth? Yeah. <laughs> Say, Jack. What is it? Can I borrow that half dollar of yours? What half dollar? You know, the one with the two heads on it. <laughs> Mary. Oh, I get it. A crooked half dollar. All right, wise guy. You cheated me out of eight weeks' salary. Now, listen, Phil. Don't get hasty. Why, you... Now, wait a minute. This may sound fishy, but if you want to know something, I've been saving that money for you. Jack's building a new house, too. Quiet. <laughs> of course I'm building a house, but it's with my own money. You ought to see it. I've got two beautiful coconut palm trees right in front. And it's all mine, not Phil's. Just the same. I'll bet the coconuts have wavy hair. <laughs> now, you're just trying to be funny. Well, that's fine. The house that my Jack built. Now, wait a minute, Phil. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that was going to get such a laugh there. That's right. <laughs> now, Phil, look, let me ask you something. You've known me a long time, haven't you? Yes, I have, Jack. Well, do you think for one minute I would ever stoop as low as to cheat you out of your hard-earned money? Definitely. <laughs> now, that's gratitude for you. Gratitude? Why should you want to save my money for me? Because you're always throwing it away. What are you going to have when you get old? Rheumatism, the same as you. <laughs> it's a smart answer, Phil, but I haven't got rheumatism. Gee, do you always groan when you walk? <laughs> Listen, Mary, the only time you ever heard me groan was yesterday when I had my shoes on the wrong feet. Well, how'd you happen to do that, Jack? Oh, I don't know. I must have had my legs crossed when I put them on. <laughs> not, meaning to, not meaning to change the subject, Jack, but what about that dough you owe me? Well, Phil, I don't want to have to prove my honesty, but as long as you're so suspicious, here's a bank book with your name on it. Here, take it and keep it. The last time I'll ever try to help anybody. Well, gee, how did I know you? Oh, don't apologize. Go ahead and play a number. We'll forget about it. Okay. Can you imagine that, Mary? That's appreciation for you. Well, Jack, let me ask you something. Do you save your money? Yes, I do. Save it? Jack even carries it around with him. Oh, Mary, I do not. Then what's that big lump in your sock? That's my long underwear. Well, it's got Lincoln's picture on it. It's a fine thing, Mary, giving away my hiding place. Now I'll have to get a burglar alarm for my garter. Why don't you keep your money in the bank? Because it's none of your business. See, I've had just about enough from you, Mary Livingston. Of all the meddling busybodies... Oh, Jack, Jack, please, remember, this is my anniversary. That was last week. Play, Phil. It's a wonder I'm not in a sanitarium.
That was Dipsy Doodle, played by Phil Harris and his orchestra. And now, ladies and gentlemen, as we have a long play tonight, without further ado... Say, Jack, yeah. I was just looking over this bank book. Are you sure there's eight weeks' salary here? Yes, there is. Well, one deposit is 15 cents short. All right, so I had an ice cream soda. <laughs> it doesn't hurt you to treat your business manager once in a while. Here, here's your 15 cents. Oh, that's all right. I just thought I'd mention no, it. Oh, no, no. Here's your 15 cents. Take it. No, Jack, you keep it. Nothing doing, Phil. Here, take it. Don't be silly. Keep it. Jack's gonna win, folks. <laughs> Stay out of this, Mary. You've caused enough trouble for one night. Oh, uh, Jack, look at Kenny over there. I wonder what's the matter with him. Where? Oh, hello, Kenny. Hello, Jack. What's wrong? Oh, nothing. Well, don't stand there like a pallbearer. What's the matter with you? Well, last Thursday night, they gave out the Academy Award for the best movie actor, and I didn't get it. Now, there's a shock. Who did get the award, Kenny? Oh, some guy named Tracy. Tracy? Well, that's Spencer Tracy, and he deserves it. You've only been in pictures a short time, Kenny. What do you expect? Well... Well, I've been in pictures for years. I didn't win the award. You couldn't win if it was on a punch board. <laughs> I'm not talking to you. Anyway, Kenny, don't worry about it. Your time will come. It better. You know, I'm the one who should really be upset about the award. Gee, I just missed it by a hair. Gosh, I, I missed it by a hair last year, too. You'll have to miss it by something else pretty soon. <laughs> I don't know. Let me tell you something, Kenny. You have to have a great dramatic part to be eligible for such a high honor. Well, what about that great scene I had in the Goldwyn Follies? The Goldwyn Follies? Yes, you know. That big scene in the lunch wagon where I was eating all those hamburgers. Kenny, you can't get an Academy Award for eating hamburgers. You can't? No. Well, this is a fine country. <laughs> no, I don't know why I waste my time explaining anything here. You know, Jack, I always thought you did a swell job in pictures. How come you've never been honored with an Academy Award? Well, Don, there's a lot in the part you play. Now, if I'd have been cast in Captain's Courageous like Spencer Tracy, I'd have had a good chance. You know, a story of the sea gives you a great opportunity for dramatic acting. Well, if you're so confident, why didn't you go over to MGM and try to get the part? I did try. I walked up and down in front of that studio for a month with a sailor suit on. <laughs> if they can't take a hint, what can I do? You must have looked silly parading up and down the sailor suit. Silly? It was embarrassing. The restaurant next door thought I was picketing their navy bean soup. <laughs> oh, well, all we can do is try. We must never be discouraged. And now, folks, we... Come in. Benny? Yes? I want to take this opportunity of congratulating you on winning the Academy Award. Thank you very much, but I didn't win. Gee, you ought to get a new jockey. Goodbye. <laughs> hmm, that guy. If he comes in here once more, I'll put sneeze powder in his bubble gum. Whatever that'll do. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for our feature attraction tonight, the Benny Little Theater Movement will uh, present an original courtroom melodrama entitled Death in the Nightclub or Sally, Irene, and Murder. I thought that picture was Sally, Irene, and Mary. Don't forget, Fred Allen's in it. <laughs> now, uh... <clears throat> Fred wasn't listening in, I'll scream. <laughs> now, on the night of February 16th, Mr. Hamilton J. Vance, a Wall Street broker, was murdered in the Hotsy Totsy Nightclub. 
Mr. Vance was just about to finish his dinner when somebody served him a lead demitasse. Who killed him? I'm coming to that. A notorious gangster known as Three Tonsil Divine, <laughs> alias Scar Voice Andy, was suspected and immediately placed under arrest, but denied any connection with the crime. I didn't do it, I tell you, I didn't do it. That remains to be seen, Andy, and hello. Hiya, Buck. <laughs> now, I, I will play the part of fearless John Benny, a district attorney who has just sent more people up the river than the Albany night boat. <laughs> Kenny Baker will be my assistant, which is at least two strikes. <laughs> and Don Wilson will be the attorney for the defense. Say, Jackie, am I going to be in this? Oh, sure, Phil. You can play the part of the orchestra leader of the uh, Hotsy Totsy Club. Why can't I be the victim so I can lay down? <laughs> what a lazy guy. You'll be the orchestra leader, and I'll get you a windshield wiper for a baton so you won't have to wave it. All right, the first number will be singing in the rain. Oh, shush. What am I going to be, Jack? Well, Mary, you're going to play a double role. First, my sweet little secretary, Millicent Livingston. Ready? Uh, would you like to sign these letters, Mr. Benny? That's very good. And second, that of a hard-boiled nightclub dancer, Gertie Lostrip. <laughs> Try that one. Lay off me a third degree and rather let you have it, see? My, you're a regular Edna G. Robinson. <laughs> But, Mary, uh, don't play it quite so tough. You know, be a little sweeter. I want something between Shirley Temple and a lady cab driver. <laughs> and now, folks, for our courtroom murder drama, we'll go on immediately after Kenny Baker's song. Uh, what are you going to sing, Kenny? Sweet is a song, and I dedicate it to the women of America. All of them? Well, you little masher. Mary, help me uh, stack up these law books, will you, kid? <laughs> This is heaven caressing you, pressing you close to my heart. Darling, you're as grand as very few are. This is heaven so near to you, I'm in love and I'm making it clear to you. Won't you please believe me when I say that you are sweet as a song, you're as sweet as a song, you'll always be like a quaint harmony of sweet and You're a lovely reprise of Kiss Me Again. Darling, when you're in my arms, nothing could ever go wrong. As long as you remain a haunting refrain, you're
Sweet is a song sung by Kenny Baker. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Hey, wait a minute. How was that? Very good, Kenny. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Thanks. Quiet. <laughs> uh, we will present our dramatic highlight, Death in the Nightclub. The scene opens in the office of the district attorney, fearless John Benny. It is the last day of the big trial of Three Tonsil Divine, and Benny is making last-minute preparations before entering the courtroom. Curtain. Me using. Well, Miss Livingston, I think I'm ready. Now, let's see. Uh, here's the gun. That's Exhibit A. There's the bullet. Exhibit B. What's this awful-looking thing here? That's your lunch, Exhibit C. <laughs> uh, there's the phone, D.A. Well, get off my lap and answer it. <laughs> okay. Hello? Yes? Yes, all right, I'll tell him. Goodbye. Who was that? Your wife. Oh, my wife, eh? What does she want? She says if you don't get rid of me, she's going to black your exhibit eye. Well, I can't worry about her. I got this trial on my mind. Have you got those notes that you took at the coroner's inquest? Yes, sir. Well, read them to me. It says that since the corpus delecti was found in a state of rigor mortis, it's a clear case of non compass mentis, ipso facto, and to wit. Oh, to wit, eh? <laughs> That'll hang them. <laughs> Who's there? Kenny Baker, exhibit me. Oh, come in. Well, Baker, did you get those fingerprints I sent you out for? No, but oh boy, have I got a clue. What'd you find out? Well, I was up at the Hotsy Totsy Club snooping around, and the head waiter came over and gave me a kick in the pants. Gave you a kick in the pants? What does that have to do with this case? Well, at least we got footprints. <laughs> That's fine evidence. Well, come on, Baker. We got work to do. And in less than three hours, that jury will bring in a verdict of guilty or my name ain't Fearless John. Peanuts, popcorns, and hot dogs. Can't enjoy the trial without a hot dog. Hear ye, hear ye. This court is now in session. Judge Schlepperman presiding. Everybody rise. Hello, everybody. Sit down and be quiet, please. We will now continue with the case of the steak versus the wine. Shall we proceed, gentlemen? The defense is ready, Your Honor. The state is ready, Your Honor. That's fine. Now, go to your corner, gentlemen, and come out fighting. <laughs> <clears throat> now, as my first witness, I'd like to call the orchestra leader of the Hotsy Totsy Club to the stand, Mr. Corny Harris. Swear Mr. Harris in. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yeah, man. <laughs> now, Mr. Harris, how long have you and your orchestra been playing at the Hotsy Totsy Club? Twelve years, but for the last six, we've been wanting to leave. Well, why didn't you? We can't get the bass drum through the door. <laughs> Twelve years in one place, eh? What's the name of your orchestra? Corny Harris and his stationary gypsies. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Now listen, Corny. <laughs> you and the defendant, Three Tonsil Divine, are very, very good friends, are you not? I object. The objection is kosher. <laughs> All right, then I'll put it this way. Harris, how long have you known the defendant, Three Tonsil Divine? I object. Kenny, you're on my side. Oh. <laughs> he objects. Objection overlooked. Now answer this. How long have you known the defendant, Three Tonsil Divines? 
Stop yelling or give me back my 15 cents. Oh, you're a witness, Mr. Wilson. Uh, Mr. Harris, I'd like to ask you just one question. Yes, sir? Where do you have your hair done? Fifi's Beauty Shoppy. I object! <laughs> your Honor, Fifi's Beauty Shop is irrelevant, immaterial, and advertising. Quiet, I'm Fifi. <laughs> I see a sideline. Huh? No more questions. Shopborn, peanuts, and programs. Can't tell a district attorney from a crook without a program. <laughs> Your Honor, the state would now like to call on the dancer at the Hotsy Totsy Club, Miss Gertie Lostrip. Ah, now they're getting someplace. <laughs> Take the stand, Miss Lostrip. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? What do you think, big boy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what a hospitality. Now, Miss Lestrip, you're a dancer at the Hotsy Totsy Club, is that right? Yes, you mind if I take off my hat? No. And on the night of the murder... You mind if I take off my coat? No. And on the night of the murder, you were dancing, weren't you? You mind if I take off my yes, hat? Yes, I do. <laughs> Please, let her alone, it's warm in here. <laughs> Now, Miss Lestrip, where do you live? At the Martin. What's the address? Uh, 33 West 52nd Street. What's your apartment? For heaven's sake, get to the phone number, please. <laughs> All right, what's your phone number, Miss Lestrip? Gladstone, 2875. Where'd you get that number, Baker? I won it in a raffle. <laughs> and now, Miss Lestrip, tell us in your own words what happened on the night of the murder. <laughs> well, hmm. I was right in the middle of my bubble dance when a man came in with a gun and fired a shot at Mr. Vance. <laughs> Well, I could have died. <laughs> Mr. Vance did. So you saw the murder. How many times was Vance shot? Just Vance. Vance, eh? And where was he shot? In the pond. I see. Vance was shot Vance in the pond. <laughs> That'll be all, Miss Lestrip. You're witness, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> Take her. Now, uh, Miss Lestrip, on the night of the murder, you had dinner at the Hopsy Totsy Club, didn't you? Yes, sir. And you had a dessert, didn't you? Well, I... I Come I, clean I, now. What did you have for dessert? Jello, because it's the most delicious dessert in America today. I thought so. Now, what flavor did you have? That night I had strawberry. No, no, it was raspberry. No, now, wait a minute. I think it was cherry. Are you sure it wasn't orange or lemon? No, I remember it was lime. Aha! I knew you'd crack. <laughs> hmm. It's lucky we haven't got a jury of sliced bananas. <laughs> No more questions, Mr. Strip. Thank you. Goodbye, Your Honor. Goodbye. Nothing. I'll be the same. <laughs> and now, Your Honor, I'd like to call the defendant, Three Tonsil Divine, to the stand. Swear in the defensive, please. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? No, sir. I don't. Oh, come on. No, sir. <laughs> Oh, do it for me, will you, Andy? Oh, no. If I tell the truth, you'll hang me. Don't be silly, Andy. There's an electric chair in this state. Well, you better put rockers on it. I'm old-fashioned. Well, I'll have to question you anyway. Now, listen, Three Tonsil. You were in the Hotsy Totsy Club on the night of the murder, weren't you? Uh, yes, sir. I went up to see Ma. She's a chorus girl there. You're Ma, a chorus girl? <laughs> yeah, snake hips divine. <laughs> All right, then tell me this. And pull down your pants leg. That won't sway the jury. <laughs> now, 
Now tell me, you hated Hamilton Vance, didn't you? No, I didn't. You were seen leaving the Hopsy Totsy Club with a gun in your hand. So what are you stalling for? You kill Vance and you're going to fry. You're going to burn. You're going to sizzle. Gosh! You haven't got a chance to bind, so you might as well confess. You murdered Hamilton J. Vance. I didn't do it, I tell you. I didn't do it. <laughs> oh, stop crying. Here, take my handkerchief. Thanks, bud. <laughs> I can't get anywhere with this guy. I only had some new evidence. Hey, D.A., D.A. What is it, Baker? I was just out in the hall and I met the bartender from the Hotsy Totsy Club. You did? Yeah, he saw everything and he wants to talk. At last, our key witness. Nice work, Baker. Right this way, Mr. Nazaro. At last, I'll cinch this case. Take the stand, Mr. Nazaro. Now, you're the bartender at the Hotsy Totsy Club. Is that right? Yes, sir, I am. Then tell us exactly what you saw on the night of the murder. Well, I was mixing a scotch and soda and a shot rang out. Yes, yes. So I looked up and right to feed the horse's bedding, and went right in to get myself a safe little bit outside the mine. Of course, I've seen it in the water, just me, and it's been so bored. And even seen the final sit there, well, sit it, oh, it was awful. <laughs> what was awful? I'm telling you, that Mr. Gurm seat the big mine, and really see the final sit there, right in it, but it's gone. Look, and wait, ran right wait, in wait, will you talk English? What did you see? I told you, the famous seat was worth the same amount of bite, and we might have seen me to sell it. Never said my little thing. What? What was that? Somebody just shot the judge. Hooray, we've got a new case. Play, Phil. Vance was probably a rat anyway. <laughs> there is something new under the sun, and this time it's something new and delicious to eat. It's a special idea for St. Patrick's Day and the gayest dish you've seen in a long time. St. Patrick's Jell-O Molds, made with shimmering green lime jello with delicious fruit inside. And here's all you have to do. Dissolve a package of lime jello in hot water and chill until slightly thickened. Then fold in two cups of diced grapefruit, half a cup of diced oranges, and half a cup of canned crushed pineapple. Chill until firm, turn out on a platter, and view with pride. A beautiful sea green mold of lime jello with grapefruit, oranges, and pineapple firmly molded inside and its tangy taste combination that's delicious and refreshing. Because there's extra rich fruit flavor in Jell-O, believe me, your family will go for this grand St. Patrick's Day dessert. So get ready for the 17th. Order some lime Jell-O tomorrow. number of the 24th program in the new Jell-O series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night at the same time. Well, Mary, you were very good tonight. I thought you played that double role beautifully. And just for that, you're going to get two checks this week. You mean I get double salary? No, I'm just splitting it. Good night, folks. appears on the Jell-O program through courtesy of Mervyn Leroy Productions. The tune Sweet as a Song is from Sally, Irene, and Mary. Whistle While You Work is from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs>